name's Buffalo Bill and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. That's right, this is The Bike Show here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Were you down at the Flash Ride, the London Cycling Campaign Flash Ride, a couple of weeks ago, ahead of the parliamentary debate about making Britain's streets a place that's fit for cycling? I was. It was pretty good, wasn't it? 2,000 people out there. A real show of strength. Well, the LCC, the London Cycling Campaign, wants you to come out again on the 28th of April, just a few days before the mayoral elections for a ride called the Big Ride. And it is going to be big. They're hoping for 10,000 people on bikes on Saturday the 28th of April just to show the mayoral candidates that it's high time we had a London mayor who was really standing up for cycling. There'll be a bike show, Feed a Ride... For the big ride, we'll meet somewhere, do something nice beforehand and head along and join the throng. Check out the website for more information about that. And you'll also find the notification of the next Friends of the Bike Show ride, which is in fact two weeks exactly before the big ride. So we're talking the 14th of April. And that is a ride that... I'm really looking forward to. It's been a while since I've been out to Mercy Island to have myself a plate of oysters at the company shed, and that's what we're going to be doing on the ride. We're going to be taking trains from Liverpool Street to Chelmsford, and then it's going to be back lanes all the way to Mercy Island. Um, we're going to fill our boots with oysters, and maybe if the weather's good, Go for a little dip. Apparently there's a beach at the, uh, at, the, at the other end at East Mercy that's a good place to have a swim. And then it'll be back up the River Colne to Colchester for a train ride back. Uh, there are details of the ride on the Bike Show website. You're listening to The Bike Show with me, Jack Thurston, here on Resonance FM. This is the half hour a week where London's community arts radio station talks to wheels. Now... You won't have missed the Times cycle safe campaign that that uh, flash ride 
a couple of weeks ago was all about um, and then the parliamentary debate and all the coverage that there's been not only in the Times but also in other newspapers notably The Guardian um, and of course on the televisual and radio news it seems that cycling and cycle safety in particular are on the agenda these days like they've never been before well across the channel in France the government is also making noises about getting more people on bikes and I wanted to find out more about that Unfortunately, Kieran Yates frequent contributor to the bike show who did that fantastic piece on Raphael Kraft the cycling radio journalist a couple of weeks ago on the show well Kieran is living in Paris and so he's ideally placed to talk to me down the line about what it's like to cycle in Paris it's like to ride a bicycle in Paris compared to what it's like to ride a bicycle in London? Well, for me, first of all, it's taken a while to get used to the streets of Paris to navigate my way around. And I think that's a challenge in any city uh, initially. But in reality, there's not a huge amount of difference in cycling infrastructure in Paris and London. And there are certainly huge challenges similar to those that you find in London and Paris, like uh, at the end of my street, before I go into the park to do my training every day, there's a huge roundabout that comes off the periphery and it's a little bit like going round the Arc de Triomphe. Cars come in from all directions and there's no seeming logic to how they come on. So you are challenged. The, The Parisians are attempting to address the infrastructure problem for cycling at the moment but it's something that's on the agenda to be completed by 2014. There are some good cycle paths along the Seine and along the canals over on the eastern side of Paris but in general there's not really a huge amount of difference. Are there a lot of cyclists? We have this idea of France as the land which loves the bicycle and of course there's the Tour de France emblematic of the French connection with the bicycle but that doesn't necessarily translate into a Dutch style affinity to everyday cycling. The official figures for Paris are that it has a 5% modal share of transport so possibly slightly larger than London. Um, Well that sounds like more than double London. Really? Really? Yeah, London's still about 2 or 3%. Certainly when you cycle around, it doesn't feel as though it's double London numbers. Perhaps in the centre of Paris, you do get the same kind of feeling. And uh, uh, there's certainly the sports cycling that goes on at weekends, but I doubt that counts as uh, um, a, a modal share of transport. Um, so, yeah, it's not visibly more popular than London and it certainly doesn't appear to be anywhere near the Scandinavian countries in terms of levels of cycling. If you look around at the cyclists in Paris, 
are they the same type of cyclists that you get in London? I mean, in London, we have this enormous pulse of cyclists twice a day in the morning commute coming in and in the evening going home again. And they tend to be cycling relatively long distances, say from the city to, you know, Clapham or Balham or or, or those kinds of places, you know, where people live. Whereas in a lot of other cities in Northern Europe, you see cyclists just just going around all the time uh, as a kind of constant circulation of traffic by bicycle and people are not equipped for speed they're not on you know bikes that go fast they're not probably togged up either in sporty gear or in the sort of um high visibility helmet gear you know, what what is what are your typical tribes of parisian cyclists what do they look like and what does that, what does that tell us about who is cycling and for what reason in in paris there's a kind of mirror of London. You have got the uh, young, fashionable set who are riding on their fixed gear bikes and uh, playing bike polo. You've got a very sporty, sport-driven group who tend to ride in the parks day in, day out, um, doing lap after lap around the, the Bois de Boulogne or the Bois de Vincennes. Um, and then you've got your regular commuter cyclist who is either coming in from the outskirts or picking up a Valib, uh on the outskirts of Paris and cycling into the centre of town who dressed as they would for the office or uh, going into college, going and doing a bit of shopping. And um, yeah, that's probably the range. And do they all wear bicycle helmets? Are they all wearing high-vis or what, what's, the, what's, the, what, what's the look? In Paris itself, there's very little high-vis and very few people wearing helmets. Outside of Paris, once you go off and cycle any kind of cycling event, whether it's a small kind of touring club event going out into the countryside for 60 or 70 kilometres or a sportive or a randonnée, there's very few people who aren't wearing helmets in the evenings, in the countryside, it's a requirement to wear high-vis. It's a legal expectation to wear high-vis, but in urban areas, it's not necessary. But it does seem that there are fewer cyclists being killed in Paris. A couple of weeks ago, you alerted the Anglophone world to an article in Le Monde, which said that there had been no cyclists killed on the streets of Paris. Have you looked into that figure to make sure that it's absolutely robust? I have looked into the figure. It was quoted again by a different source in Le Figaro. And again, it was stated that there were zero fatalities in Paris last year. There is concern that the number of injuries are increasing. There was an increase of some nearly 25% uh, of cyclists injured last year, bringing it back up to around about 2007 levels which was nearly 700 cyclists injured and for a city which is uh what about a third the size of london that's quite a large number i thought there were eight million people in paris about the same as london no no it's about uh, two and a half million okay uh, so this is a this is a, a core an inner core of yeah. paris rather than the, the 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 larger metropolitan area yeah yeah okay so we're, we're not quite comparing like with like when we say well there were 16 people killed in london last year and there were none in paris we're actually comparing a sample size of two million versus eight million 
you're looking at inner London, the very inner core of London, compared to uh, something similar to the inner, inner London area, maybe Zone 3 and inwards. That doesn't explain it all, because within inner London, there have been cyclists killed in London, and yet not in Paris. Are you aware of any reasons why the roads are less hazardous? Looking at the figures for the last five or six years, um, there was an increase in 2007. Uh, all, the number of fatalities nearly doubled in 2007, went up again in 2008 and 2009. So uh, 2009 was the ye- worst year in recent years, and that was six cyclist fatalities in Paris. Um, so there were six cyclist fatalities in 2009. But that period also coincides with the introduction of Valide in Paris. So perhaps there has been some adjustment both by cyclists and drivers to an increased number of cyclists on the road, uh, greater awareness. But for me, the big factor in the relatively low numbers of fatalities in France is that there are no heavy goods vehicles around during the day in Paris. As an environmental measure, back in 2007, the mayor of Paris, the decided to restrict the movement of HGVs in Paris. Uh, So the very largest HGVs aren't allowed into the city centre until 10 o'clock at night and have to be out of the city centre by, uh, I think it's 7 o'clock in the morning. Smaller light goods vehicles are allowed in for slightly longer periods of time, but the biggest lorries, which we know are the most dangerous on city streets aren't allowed in at all, apart from at night time. Well, that's absolutely fascinating because in London, we have the reverse of that almost precisely. And it's because of noise pollution regulations that say heavy goods vehicles are not allowed to enter London during the night and they must do their work during the day. Well, the the restriction on heavy goods vehicles in Paris, it, it was something that... Commercial interests had a say in, it was something the transport industry had a say in, and the mayor of Paris's office had a say in. And it was decided for environmental reasons and also for, in terms of efficiency, that delivering at night made better use of the roads. And there are strict rules about noise reduction involved in those rules. So there's a code of practice for the companies making deliveries at night time. And just this year, there's been a review of those procedures and a general kind of rejigging of the rules to suit both the Parisian public and commercial interests that need deliveries during the day. So everyone seems to be happy with that arrangement. As far as I can make out, yes. Certainly when I worked in the supermarket industry and we were getting deliveries round about seven o'clock, sometimes a little bit earlier, as soon as they arrived any earlier than seven o'clock, you would have the local neighbours complaining. And uh, it's a case of perhaps a British kind of nimbyism so we care more in Britain about um, our good night's sleep than we do about um, the safety of cyclists and pedestrians and other people who are killed by heavy goods vehicles. It's very interesting what's happening in Paris, but recently the French government itself at a national level launched a cycling plan. Can you tell me a bit about what that involves? There were various proposals put forward. There was a proposal to 
introduce a tax break for people commuting by bike. I think there's a similar scheme in Belgium already. But that was turned out, uh, turned down for being too expensive. There was a proposal for something similar to the British Bike to Work scheme. Again, that was not considered. Various other schemes, there, there were plans to introduce improvements to some of the really big, long cycle routes uh, in France. I think there's been one and a half million to one and a half million euros given to improving the long distance cycle routes. And there has been an increased amount of funding for the French cycling czar, or Monsieur Velo, as he's known over here. So he's getting extra funding to try and come up with new ideas, and he's also getting uh, more staff. Perhaps the biggest change was the introduction of a scheme that had been in the works for two years, trialled and tested in Bordeaux and Nantes, and that is the... Uh, introduction of the permission to turn right or carry straight on at red lights, um, which basically clears cyclists out of the way of that danger spot. And that has been agreed for the whole of France, or is that something that's a permissive power that's given to local authorities to adopt at certain junctions when it suits, um, you know, suits the circumstance? It's a permissive power that's being given to local authorities. So the local mayor's office of any town can look at a junction and decide that this is a suitable junction for introducing this uh, measure. And if it's deemed suitable, there will be either a new form of traffic light, which uh, indicates that a bicycle can turn right or carry straight on, or there will be a small sign on the traffic light post to indicate that the Um, cyclists can move on so what do you think's motivated this cycling plan it's an election year in france does the government think that there are votes in cycling or is this just something that is just one of those things that comes out of government uh, from time to time as far as i can make out i don't think it is directly related to any electoral campaign i think it's been something that's been in the works for a while There has been a group working um, for a year or so, I think maybe possibly even two years, on proposals for the National Cycling Plan. And uh, it was only in January that the cycling plan itself was announced. But I don't think it's related to uh, any of the raft of other measures that uh, Monsieur Sarkozy is suddenly announcing at the moment. Okay, (laughs) but there's also a particular French thing, and I noticed this in the plan, about these higher schemes which they considered to be their great gift to urban cycling the the um Vélibre, obviously the biggest one but there were other schemes before uh Vélibre in paris and other parts of france and they're going to be introducing these schemes in other cities and towns there's also a kind of integration of bicycle with railways that mm-hmm. seems to be something that they're very keen on well interestingly i i attended a talk uh, late last year and it was about cycle touring in France and the main complaint of cycle tourists in France is that if you want to get to a starting point or return from a destination with your bicycle, travelling by train isn't always the most simple uh, way of going about it Uh, particularly TGVs, I think there's only four bicycles allowed or four bicycle spaces on TGVs so you're restricted to the slower trains and it's not always apparent which trains have cycle spaces on them. So connecting up the cycling infrastructure with the 
train infrastructure is something that is very much in demand for the large number of cycle tourists in France. So that's cycle tourists, but what about the commuters? Because that's where it's become very big in the UK with railway stations particularly in London and the southeast, putting in a lot more uh, secure cycle parking as an idea that, well, this is going to be, you know, instead of park and ride, this is a sort of a ride and train. And, and, and obviously the post-train market for, for the Boris bikes, the London cycle hire bikes, is the main market for that service. There is a demand for that type of commuting in France. And at the moment, it's relatively easy to take your bike on the RER, the suburban kind of commuter trains in Paris and some of the smaller trains that travel from a further distance. Uh, but to connect up, have more cycle parking at stations and then the availability of commuter bikes at the other end uh, is the ideal that they're aiming for, yeah. So let's turn to the people who are demanding better facilities for cyclists and better laws for cycling. When it comes to this debate that exists in the UK about mixing with the traffic versus separated hard infrastructure to keep cyclists in a place that's safe for them, is that debate something that goes on in France or are they on one side or the other? I've not noticed it as a debate that's going on. I think there's definitely demand for more segregated cycleways. Um, the French cyclist is protected more in French law than the British cyclist is in British law. So you have uh, rules of the road which state that it's illegal to pass a cyclist uh, in your car closer than one and a half metres. And then there's also the strict liability insurance laws which protect the cyclist and perhaps deter car drivers from being that little bit reckless. Um, so there, there are legal protections and there's the temporal protection of having, in Paris at least, of having a restriction of movement on heavy goods vehicles. But as for physical segregation night and day uh, I don't see a lot of demand for it although there is an increasing amount of infrastructure which is being built which uh, just provide that you've got the voie verte which um, are the greenways there's the greenway running from Dieppe and it almost reaches Paris now and there are many similar kind of routes all through France which certainly make cycling as a family activity more pleasurable. Do you see, looking at the policies that have been put forward in this cycling plan, do you think France is going to catch up? Because they're quite frank about the fact that they are behind where they could be compared to other countries where cycling is more prevalent and they want to be catching up. Do you think that this package of measures is sufficient to get France to catch up with the, the best in Europe? At the moment, I don't think it is enough. There are perhaps various factors within French culture itself which uh, affect that. I think if you look at the modal share of transport in France, it's generally walking, which is very, a very has a very high share of, uh, uh, of transport. And then public transport also has a high share. Uh, so to get people out of those two sectors is quite difficult I think modifying driving use, it's something that certainly in Paris they're attempting to do, but it's 
a minority or not a minority who drive, but it's not as great a percentage as it is in uh, most UK cities. So I think it's a greater challenge perhaps to get people to shift from public transport or walking to then change to cycling. Yeah, I guess uh, that's not necessarily what we want. We want we want to be taking people out of their cars. But there are plenty of people who plenty of people who drive cars in in France, you know. And even for short journeys, I would imagine. Oh yes, yes there are, but then I think in Paris certainly the mood of the mayor of Paris is to get people out of cars. They've recently introduced the car equivalent of Velib, a public car hire scheme. And the intention there is to make cars as available as the Veli bikes are or proportionately available and get rid of all the cars that are parked on the streets eventually, which is a grand aim, but it certainly clears up space on the streets. And their analysis is that 90% of the cars aren't moving most of the day. That was Kieran Yates down the line from Paris talking about cycling in that city and in France more generally. Well, sitting beside me in the studio is a man who decided that he'd had enough living in Paris and he wanted to change, wanted to go somewhere else. And he thought that the bicycle would be the vehicle to take him to this new and as yet unknown home gives me great pleasure to welcome an old friend, Gregory Bossuit. Gregory, welcome to The Bike Show. Hello. So you left Paris and your job with a bicycle. And what was the idea? Well, uh, the idea was just uh, to be free. And uh, I had time and I wanted to go to the south uh, with all my, my luggage to cook, to read, to sleep well. And be free for a while. So it was just a, an open-ended bicycle tour with exactly. no destination and no time. That's right. That so, was the idea. So where did you go? So, well, I start from Burgundy and uh, I went to the coast of France, an Atlantic coast, La Rochelle. And then I, I went down to the Pyrenees by the coast. Then I crossed the Pyrenees and I went to the Santiago de Compostelle. Okay, so right the, across the top of Spain. Yes, that's right. And then I followed the Atlantic coast of Spain until Oporto in Portugal. Uh, beautiful. And then I, I followed the Duero until Salamanca in Spain again to follow the Ruta de la Plata until Seville. And uh, when I arrived in Seville, I just thought that it was a good idea to stop uh, and let's see what's happening there. And you've been there for five years? Yeah, I haven't left. <laughs> I've been, I'm, I'm still here now for six years, yeah. I haven't, I haven't come back. And so what were the best bits of that journey? It sounds like an absolutely fantastic dream journey. It is, it is. Uh, I have just beautiful stories and recording things about this trip. 
Nothing bad happened in two months. It was just a, a freedom sensation and a nice meeting people and really nice. And was it hard work on the bicycle? Was it was it was it tough? Uh, it, the... Well, it, it was tougher than I thought, especially when I arrived in Spain, because uh, in uh, when I crossed the Pyrenees, I thought. I saw that I had I did the the the, the worst. You finished the mountains. Yes, yeah, I finished the mountain, and it's not like that. Spain is a very high country, so I was always always up and down, very high and and very sunny, very hot, but it was exciting, very exciting. And so, from a day-to-day basis, you were you were camping every night. Was that right? And cooking your own food. Exactly. Uh, the point was eating very well, sleeping very well. So I was uh, I was cooking my own food, sleeping uh, in in the countryside or little places of village close the close to the church. Uh, I didn't use the tent very much. I didn't like it. I was why I not? Put, well, uh, you know when you're in the tent. You just don't know what's happening around. You don't see anything. And that's a, a little bit scary. So I decided to just uh, sleeping and... Just out in the open air. Exactly, exactly. Fantastic. And were people friendly to you? Did they think, who's this crazy man asleep in the churchyard? Oh, they were all very, very, very sympathetic with me. One day I, I wake up and uh, they were making a market around me and when I wake up I had like a petit pain au chocolat close to my to my bed you know the the the, the woman who was selling the petit pain she just brought me one but she didn't wake up me she just leave it close to my my head you know that was so funny some people in the Basque country also when they saw me uh, on the street they say oh guy guy just Come, come at home a minute. You, you should. You must be set. You must be hungry. Let come at at home and tell us about your trip. You know, and they inviting to me, inviting me in this house, and uh, very welcoming, very sympathetic. That was beautiful everywhere. Tell me a little bit about the kind of bicycle that you were riding. Was it a very expensive, uh, fast, uh, sportive bicycle? Well, the, the bike I had is uh, like a hybrid. Yeah, hybrid uh, bicycle. Yeah, so with this kind of bike, you can do everything. That's what I wanted to for my my long journey, because I I really didn't know where I was going to do and what what I'm going to to do. So I wanted a, a very useful bike, a practical bike, and strong yeah. to carry my 25 kilos bags. So what did you, you had uh, 25 kilos? Is that that lots of clothes and books and what kind well, of things were you carrying? Uh, yeah, well, uh, very little clothes, but uh, books, things to cook, uh, radio, a nice bed. A nice bed? What's yeah. for? Like a mattress? <laughs> yeah, like a little mattress, yes. Yes. And uh, the tent. The tent. Which I didn't use. And how much did that weigh? Uh, I think it was like seven kilos. So you're carrying seven kilos that you never used? Yes. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. And what kind of distances were you travelling every day? Or, or how many hours were you were you riding? Were you constantly on the move or were you stopping and starting? You know, w- w- Was it a real athletic performance or 
Was it more leisure? Well, I think it was an athletic performance, but that's not that was not my idea. But uh, I was doing like between 80 and 100, 100 120 kilometers a day, which is quite good, I think. And uh, but I was really free to stop whenever I want. And it was on the summertime, so I was doing twice a day. I was biking very early in the morning, stopping at two, and carrying at six, seven again until ten, eleven. So you were taking a siesta, uh, of course, of course, nice siesta with nice book and, and a beautiful place in my uh, hammock uh, and cooking and visiting the place I were going, talking to people. And so if you were to recommend to any of the listeners which areas that you travelled through were really, really fantastic for maybe making a short holiday for people who don't have the chance to make such a long trip as you made, which areas would you recommend as, as places that people really must go to ride a bicycle in because it's just so nice? Oh, uh, there, there is a lot. But the first coming in my head is Burgundy. Bogodin is a beautiful place to, to traveling. Uh, it's uh, w really well organized, a lot of little roads, beautiful uh, village, uh, welcoming people, uh, nice food. What's the typical food of, uh, uh, of uh, Burgundy? Escargot, nails with garlic, beautiful, <laughs> and a nice glass of Chardonnay. And are there a lot of people cycling there? Is it a popular thing to do? It is, it is because it's quite, uh, uh, there is a lot of canal, so uh, around the canal uh, it's quite uh, flat, so it's easy, easy to ride, and uh, so it's, uh, uh, it's very popular. And not too hot, is it? No, not? it is not. Where, it is not so where, where is the big city or big town of, of, of Burgundy that you would take the train to? Uh, the, the, the capital is Dijon. That's where I arrive. Uh, it's in the center. In the center of it's very close to the Parc du Morvan, which is a natural park. You can do a lot of kilometers without see village, and it's beautiful, wow. very wild. And then, and then another area that you pass through that I'm quite interested in is um, the Londe area, which is oh, the, yes. the South Atlantic coast of France, which is really a curious place i've never been there but but it's a place that i've seen photographs of and i've heard stories about this this uh strange empty flat place with the sea and the and the trees um, tell me about that place what's the atmosphere like yeah it, it's true it's a very a very special place because it's just like two ocean the green ocean of the of the wood and the atlantic ocean And it's just separated by a beautiful line of sand. And you have there the biggest dune of Europe, the dune La Pila. And uh, it's very empty zone. Uh, the, the, the forest is quite too much well organized. You've got uh, a little road for bike everywhere. So when you go to a forest... You, you like to see the wild part of this forest. And when I went there, I, I've been a, a little bit disappointed of uh, this too much well-organized. I don't know if I... Organized for tourism or organized for taking the wood out? No, organized f for biking. The forest is a little bit too 
uh, well equipped. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's exactly. Too, many, too many other cyclists. There's exactly. a bit too organised. You don't feel like you're really discovering exactly. an exciting place. Exactly. Okay. And, and what about sleeping out in the forest? Because I always find that a forest is quite a scary place to sleep out in because there's a lot of strange noises in a forest. It is, it is. I, I, I had to, to fight uh, with my, uh, my own monsters there because sleeping, sleeping in the forest between the noise of the waters and, uh, and uh, birds and everything, well, you get paranoid sometimes. And, uh, and that's why I didn't want to, to sleep in my tent because I wanted to be aware of what's happening around me. So you, you know, could make a run for it when the uh, the mad axeman yeah. comes for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. To be aware. Well, the good thing is when you're tired and you're doing 100 kilometers, your paranoia lasts very short because you get you sleep very quickly, you know, after. <laughs> so you're just having a, a few minutes of, of paranoia and then you're tired of everything and you're sleeping. <laughs> so how did you overcome that paranoia? Apart from being absolutely knackered, yeah. how did you overcome the, the paranoia of, of feeling like at risk? What saved my life was the probability. I was always thinking that how oh, this serial killer will be in the same place like me in this such huge place. So that was making me tr- uh, uh, be... Uh, so you more felt more safe because you thought about the, the chances that there's going to be some nutcase yeah. with a knife <laughs> coming to get me behind this tree is actually quite small. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. And so across the border into Spain, yes. you joined up with the uh, route de Saint-Jacques, uh, isn't it? The pilgrim's route to That's Santiago right. de Compostela. And so you were obviously going along with a bicycle and other people, most of the other people were walking, right? Oh, so, yes. um how would you compare the experience of of traveling on that very famous historic route by bicycle compared to uh, on foot? The people who were working, I've seen them suffering a lot, a lot. They had so much problem of the foot, on the back, uh, and after twenty kilometer or twenty five kilometer, which is not a lot, they were just in a very bad condition. You know, after two weeks, one week, three weeks, they were in a bad condition, really. And all the people on the bike, they were like quite fit, you know. Uh, you weren't suffering. If I... Yeah, you did. You had no. no you had no moments uh, on the on the thing where you were really suffering. Mm, well, you suffering when you have to get up on the mountain, but once you are on the top, you are you feel really nice. So it's not a, a permanent damage. No, 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 no. It's just a a, a present suffering. You are suffering in the moment, but it's good suffering because you know that after you know they're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna feel well. Yeah, and so did the walkers, the pilgrims on foot. Did they show any signs of being jealous or envious uh-huh. of you there with the bicycle, covering three times the distance in a day that they were covering? 
No, no, no. They uh, they were very proud of what they were doing, <laughs> and they could be because they were very hard. It was tough. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. And so, uh, any other places? Now we're in Spain. Um, Spain is not such a familiar place, I think, for um, certainly British people to go cycle touring in. I mean, we, we love to go cycle touring in France, really, and maybe in the in the Netherlands and maybe mm. even southern Germany. But Spain is not a place that people typically think to go cycle touring. But I'm sure it's a beautiful country. Where would you recommend people to go on the basis of your experiences? Well, uh, there was a lot of places, but uh, when you just uh, cross the Pyrenees uh, to Pamplona, that's a beautiful place, beautiful place to, to biking. The only thing is uh, they are not very well prepared, and sometimes you're just on a little road, and uh, you just carry on this little road, and you arrive on a auto auto route. Oh, yeah. You know, and you do, you don't feel like, and suddenly you're just full of uh, lorry driver everywhere, and say, "Wow, I was just on a little road, and now I'm on a auto route. What's happening?" You know, it was <laughs> terrible. Uh, and what about um, the north, the north coast of of Spain, and going into Portugal on the Atlantic coast? Yes, because this is quite wild country isn't it it's almost like um, the west coast of the united kingdom uh, like cornwall and wales and scotland it's, yes. it's it's rugged it's not like we think of spain and we think of the mediterranean it's it's really different it is very different yes galicia galicia is a beautiful place to to biking it's really clean uh, a lot of beautiful village very high so you're suffering quite a lot but the weather it's good it's not too hot and uh, the Costa, beautiful, beautiful. And Portugal, Portugal is really nice too, but it's less well prepared than Spain. It's quite dangerous. Really, because yeah, it's uh, the very, roads are too fast. Yeah, road too fast and it's complicated to to find a little road to go to village to village. Sometimes you have to take a big road. You've got no other way. So it makes the, the trip more complicated. But uh, you were getting more experienced and fitter and the conditions were getting more difficult <laughs> with every Exa- kilometre. Ex- exactly, exactly. So you started off very nice and easy in Burgundy and then yes. hit the paranoia in the forest of the Land, then the mountains <laughs> and then the crazy pilgrims. And I had some paranoia in, in Portugal too because uh, I remember once I was uh, sleeping in a little village in the middle of the village uh, close to a church and I was very tired, so I just... Well, it was first very complicated to find a place to sleep because I had just to cross a really big town and uh, it cost me a lot of hours to, to get off this town and it was very late and I had a lot of kilometers and I was very tired and I couldn't find place. But finally, I found this little village with a beautiful little church uh, some uh, 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 little garden around, and I said, "Oh, that's my place." And uh, I, I make my bed. That's a very strange things, and what I, I was gonna say, but it happened. And then I, 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 I lie down, and suddenly, I heard like, rrr, rrr, like monster noise, 
coming close to me and close to me as, and I was lying down on night close to this church and I couldn't believe what it was. I said, my God, what is this monster noise coming soon and closer to me? And, I, and that God said, and I was so scared that I was, my heels was, well, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what happening. And I thought, maybe it's the devil. Nothing, you know, you don't know what's happening in your head when, and I, I, I was so scared. I, I, I didn't want to, to, to look behind my bike because this nose must become from a horrible person. So I was just like praying that I'm not, I never pray, but I just praying that because I didn't know what to do. And, and it lasts like ages, like five minutes. <laughs> And so what, what was it? What, what is it? I didn't know. I never know. I never know because I was just like on my bed and I was trembling and I, and then the noise just step by step left. And he left. A close encounter with the devil yeah. on the road to Seville. And on the morning when I wake up, I was very curious about this noise and I went to a coffee and uh, I was full of people having his breakfast. And I, I was saying, I'm going to ask these people if they heard it. But then I get shame and I didn't, I didn't ask it. <laughs> I didn't ask it. So I, I just stay with this... Memory. Memories. memory. And I never knew what it was. Then I start to think. Uh, in 2005... It was a lot of uh, uh, forest fire everywhere. So maybe it was a, an animal who get burned. Maybe it was my mind. Maybe it was the devil. I don't know. I will never know. <laughs> I was very scary. <laughs> All right, well, let's, um, let's talk about the end of your journey. Okay. So you had, no, you had no plan. You had no destination. It wasn't like, I've got to get here, no. and uh, when I get here, that's going to be the end, and this is a certain date. You had a really open, um, an open mind. And, and t- tell me, what's your, what's your line of business? What's your work? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm working on a hotel and restaurant. I'm a maitre d'. And uh, so it's quite easy to find uh, work everywhere. So you had uh, this portable job. Yes. And skills. Exactly. And qualifications and uh, an open mind. You could have carried on going around the world and maybe ended up in Las Vegas or something. Yeah. But you could, didn't. No, I didn't. Well, my idea was stay in Europe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we never know. You know, I could, I could have carry on for months and so months. were there were there any places on your route where you really thought hmm this is a nice place where I could stay well I wanted to go to Morocco I wanted to go to Tenerife uh, I wanted to go to Andalusia but I had nothing clear but when I arrived in Seville I thought that it was be it could be a good place to stay a while what did you like about it the color the color of the town just beautiful town Red, yellow, uh, red and yellow from the earth. The earth in, in Seville has got two colors, the, the yellow one and the red-brown one. And they use this earth to paint 
the the houses and uh, with the green because it's a very green town also a lot of parks uh, this beautiful light the orange tree it's just full of beautiful color it's really nice town because we here in the UK know Seville for its oranges which we make into our marmalade yeah that's right so it's true about there are a lot of oranges in the town right of course it's full everywhere everywhere in the town and outside the town you do, you can't have a street without a orange tree it's beautiful and it makes a beautiful smell exactly in spring you have the orange blossom and it's smelling it's I think it's the town who smell the best. They've done an awful lot to improve things for cyclists in Seville. And, and you've lived there during that period. So it'd be really interesting for you to tell us what the changes were that were made by the government and what it was like before and after uh, the, the, the changes. So when you arrived in Seville on your bicycle, this wonderful, beautiful place, smelling of oranges oranges on every road what was it like to cycle well you you had to cycle on the street and and fighting fighting to have your your own place you know because uh, between the buses the lorry drivers the cars and uh, it was quite hard so it was not a friendly place for cycling no it wasn't and were at there, all were there many cyclists uh i don't remember to see a lot also uh, the the people are not the mentality to drive to drive a lot a lot of bike because for them it's always too hot or too cold to ride a bike so they always said to me gregory it's too hot gregory it's too windy gregory it's too everything but it's never the right time to bike over there for them so what did the government do uh, to make it easier uh, to cycle obviously the government cannot change the weather no what did, what did they do? <laughs> well, they they did they did a, they did a, a really big uh, pass circuit. Cir- uh, how do you say circuit circuit oh, pass a, bike? Like a, a a bicycle path all yes, around the city, a, all around, and it, it took like two years to do it. Uh, Why did it take so long? Uh, well, it's been very chaotic, very chaotic. They didn't have a, a really good idea how to do it. I think because. Uh, First, they put it on the street, then they take it off and they put it on the... On the pavement. On the pavement. Uh, or the sidewalk for American exactly, business. Exactly, exactly. Then, because the, it's full of trees... The orange trees. Orange trees. They make it difficult to, to make it. So, they did not... Sometimes they were around the trees or the tree was in the middle of the pass. Then they cut the trees. Uh, whoa, it was very chaotic. Uh, the, there was a bridge... Uh, a very fa- very beautiful bridge in the in the center of the of the town, and on this bridge was just unbelievable. I think I seen like three or four different circuit, different bike paths, bypassed because they didn't they couldn't do the right one. So they put it, they take it off, they put it again, they take it off. It was imbe- unbelievable. But it's now finished. Now it's finished. Yeah. And what is it like? Well, it's quite well done now. Finally, <laughs> they did it. They did, yeah. And so, uh, what, what are they like now? Are they, is it a separate place to cycle, or do you have to go on the on the place where people are walking, or or is it just in the street like it is in London, where you know you just have a little bit of paint there? Or how, how, what does it look like? Uh, no, it, it's it's where the people are 
working. So it it can be sometimes very dangerous because uh, the people still doesn't have uh, used to uh, to see the the biker on the on the on the pavement. So we have to be careful, and especially now that the bike pass getting very very busy, the people are using a lot. So it's encouraged the citizens of Seville to say, okay, well, maybe it's too hot, maybe it's too windy, maybe it's too cold, but you know what? We're going to ride anyway. Exactly, exactly. They get used to and uh, they, they, they know that it's good for them <laughs> to, to still eating a lot of tapas and <laughs> you have to make a lot of bike. <laughs> and so would you recommend Seville as a, as a nice city to visit to, uh, to, to explore by bicycle? Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, Seville has got uh, uh, the biggest old centre in Europe. Oh, like the old town. Yes. So the best way to, to visiting it is by bike. It's beautiful. Is it true that the most dangerous thing now you can have <laughs> happen to you in, as a cyclist in Seville is for an orange to fall on your head? Has that yes. ever happened to you? Yes, it did. It happened a lot. It happened really. <laughs> it's not just a le- uh, urban, urban legend. It happened. Well, I look forward to an orange falling on my head sometime <laughs> on the streets of Seville. It's certainly a place that's on my list to visit. Thank you, Gregory Bosuit, for coming onto the bike show. That's it for this extended podcast edition of the show. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week. Thank you, Jack. Goodbye. Bye bye. Je suis né, arrangé comme une bête, mais je me soigne. Y a vraiment rien qui est changé dans ma tête. C'est un plaisir de se faire plaisir dans la folie. Amour te quiero, va bene. C'est le printemps, regarde le soleil, c'est merveilleux. Un air me galope dans la tête. La radio collée à mon oreille, je m'éclate. Wap do wap, super cool. Wap do wap do wap, super cool. Je flic, je scie, je suis heureux comme un poisson et je m'éclate comme un Sénégalais en écoutant Blondie et Costello, les Bee et la musique de Vincent Scotto, vachement planant, Champs-Élysées.